Welcome everyone to another Blaney's podcast. This podcast is different than any of our other podcasts. I am not in the studio. My guest, Jack Siegel, my partner, Varjan Arman, our engineer, none of us are in the studio today. We are all recording remotely. We are all partners in the law firm of Blaney McMurtry, which is a firm located in Toronto. We have about 120 lawyers who are all working remotely, but are all ready and uh, willing to uh, continue to do business with you and to help you and assist you in any way we can. So on March the 27th, on our statistics, and we're looking at them now, approximately 5,500 people have tested positive for the virus in Canada, and approximately 55 have died. And so with this in mind and the impact of social isolation in mind, Let's start our podcast. How are you, Jack? Hi, Lou. How are you doing today? Great. And how is the uh, social isolation treating you? Not too badly. Uh, got a reasonable setup at home. Went for a lengthy hike with my son yesterday. We're at least getting a little fresh air. That's great. So, Jack, I, I know that uh, you've probably been receiving hundreds of phone calls from employers and employees on uh, the issue of the employment relationship. So let me just start by asking, what happens in a workplace uh, in Ontario where one of the employees has, uh, with, with absolute certainty, contracted the coronavirus? What are the responsibilities of the employer and what should he do in those circumstances? Uh, once the employer becomes aware uh, of such a situation, uh, it's essential uh, that the uh, employee not uh, return to the workplace until they've tested clear. I don't know that uh, there's going to be too much dispute about that. It will be the instructions the employee will have received from healthcare providers, if not others. Uh, the employer, though, has a workforce who uh, may still be in place if they're an essential service, able to continue on site. And in that case, essential service or not, uh, any employees who have been in close proximity to the COVID-19 patient uh, need to be excluded from the workplace and uh, told uh, to uh, go into self-isolation uh, at home or at another location if home is not possible. Uh, depending on the nature of the environment, uh, particularly if it's a food handling uh, location, uh, restaurant or uh, a uh, a food store, then sanitation measures are probably going to be necessary over and above uh, simply excluding people for the safety both of the uh, people who may be getting uh, the products from there and the employees themselves. The employers always got obligations. Uh, to ensure the health and safety of their employees under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. Jack, we've heard recently of, uh, of tough enforcement measures under the Quarantine Act or the Emergency Powers Act in Ontario, uh, where the government and actually the police can enforce social distancing. How do we deal with social distancing in the workplace? Uh, in the workplace, it's a matter of steering clear as much as possible. Obviously, the ideal uh, in terms of safety in a workplace is for people to work remotely. Uh, but there are workplaces where um, 
greater proximity is necessary and the services provided by the employer are essential. Uh, and in that case, uh, employees need to, to be mindful uh, of the proximity of their coworkers and keep their distance as best they can. Is there an obligation on the employer in those circumstances to provide to the employees, what I guess what we call is, is personal protection equipment, the PPEs? As far as I understand it, PPE is being used uh, in situations of healthcare where there is a treatment or active direct exposure going on that cannot be addressed simply by isolation. Uh, so there is certainly a need for hospitals, medical offices that are remaining uh, in, the, in the state where they are seeing patients, uh, a dentist perhaps who is uh, seeing emergency patients uh, to have appropriate PPE, including uh, a mask, probably a clear plastic face guard, uh, as well as uh, the usual uh, rubber gloves and probably an appropriate gown, which may not be the routine one. Can an employee refuse to work during this period of time if he suspects that he may get into contact or possibly get into contact with someone who has the coronavirus? Well, I mentioned the Occupational Health and Safety Act earlier in Ontario, and I presume most other provinces. Uh, it gives the right uh, to any worker to refuse to uh, continue in a task if they feel that it poses a uh, uh, real risk to their health and safety. So where somebody believes that continuing to do the work they are doing, uh, they have a right, if not an obligation, to their coworkers to identify the hazard, uh, which requires the employer then to stop work in and about the location uh, where that is happening. and to call a, uh, an inspector from the Ontario Ministry of Labor to deal with the situation. Given where we are right now, I have a feeling that those inspectors are not nearly as uh, accessible and able to respond quickly as they ordinarily are. Uh, so it may simply be necessary for the employer to shut things down until further notice while uh, doing what they can to satisfy the employee in question that uh, the work remains safe. Jack, can an employer lay off or fire an employee who has contracted or contacted COVID-19? The COVID-19 patient is considered under the uh, Ontario Human Rights Code uh, to have a disability. So to simply fire somebody who's got a disability that they are likely to recover from uh, in relatively short order would almost certainly be a contravention of the code. Uh, it's more appropriate to uh, insist on uh, the employee uh, being on a sick leave for the duration of uh, their illness and any additional time that's required uh, to uh, get sign-off from a health professional that uh, it's safe for them to be around other people. Let's talk about layoffs generally then. Uh, is there a right on an employer generally to lay off his employees, particularly if the, if the business is a non-essential one? In Ontario, there are very, very few non-unionized workplaces uh, where a layoff in the sense of uh, we're stopping work for you for the next several weeks uh, has no repercussions. In union settings, uh, it's built into almost every collective agreement. Uh, 
probably all of them, in fact, since I haven't seen one otherwise. Uh, the direct employer who doesn't have a union involved has a contract of employment with the employee, and that's the case whether or not there's a signed document. And part of the employer's side of the bargain is that work is provided. So in theory, a failure to provide work on an ongoing basis, or perhaps more crucially, pay, uh, is a constructive dismissal uh, that allows the employee to treat the employment as over and proceed with a claim for wrongful dismissal. But the practical reality is, is that claims like this have a recovery that's equal to the employee's uh, unavoidable economic loss, their lost pay. And if the employer uh, a month or two months from now turns around and says to the employee, come on back, if the employee then refuses to do so, their benefits or their, their claim is going to be limited to the period that they were off work. Uh, then it becomes a practical question. If someone is off work for two months and that's the extent of their claim, and they were getting uh, either employment insurance benefits or the uh, Canada Emergency Response Benefit of $500 per week, then continuing with a claim will only get them the difference uh, since they'll almost certainly have to pay back to the government the money they received. That is certainly the case with employment insurance, although we haven't seen the fine details yet of the uh, Emergency Response Benefit. Jack, the notion of working remotely, I guess, applies to certain groups of employees. Can an employer require an employee to work remotely? Generally speaking, yes. Uh, the employer, if it's going to do that, needs to make it possible for the worker to continue doing so. Uh, and that's distinct from simply saying you can't come into the office and uh, you're effectively laid off. So yeah, in the case of people who have desk jobs to uh, ensure that they have uh, the computer equipment they need to uh, continue doing their jobs. Uh, assuming they need a computer, certainly some forms of telecommunication uh, device uh, and uh, whatever else is necessary for that particular job. There may need to be some back and forth depending on the space that the employee has at home uh, to do that. I can imagine somebody living in a bachelor apartment with uh, three children under the age of six is going to have a problem establishing a quiet background for any telephone calls, for example. If an employee is not working remotely, but is in the workplace, and as a result, contracts the COVID-19 virus, is he entitled or she entitled to claim workers' compensation? Uh, yes. In fact, the uh, Workplace Safety Insurance Board in Toronto just recently uh, released uh, a guidance document for its adjudicators uh, in dealing with these situations. Uh, essentially, the employee uh, needs to be assessed by them uh, for the question first of whether or not the condition uh, arises from an increased risk at the workplace itself. Workers' compensation won't flow from somebody who gets the disease from just the general risk that uh, we all face today. Then secondly, the WSIB needs to be satisfied that there is a positive diagnosis of COVID-19. Although this adjudicative approach document uh, does allow for that, 
in the absence of the uh, testing that's going on. I suppose they have designed their policy in light of the fact that testing is uh, not taking place universally at a particularly rapid pace. Uh, and they simply ask the question of whether or not uh, a compatible COVID-19 condition, uh, compatible in the sense of uh, matching the symptoms, uh, has been assessed as COVID-19 by a registered health professional. Oh, I see. In these times, we hear daily announcements from the Prime Minister and from the Premier of Ontario dealing with programs that have been instituted by both the provincial and federal governments to assist both employees, employers, and businesses generally. Can you tell me what some of the more relevant statutes are as far as employees are concerned? I think from the employment perspective, uh, the uh, more conspicuous things right now are uh, the initiatives having been taken by the uh, the federal government. And that would include the uh, Canada Emergency Response Benefit, and I should return and explain how that works. Employment insurance, sick benefits, uh, for which uh, they are eliminating the waiting period for people, and the possibility of dealing with a reduced workload. Uh, through a work share program, which is part of the employment insurance scheme that allows the employer to uh, spread the pain around instead of laying somebody off and, say, reduce their workforce to a three-day work week uh, where the employees can receive a top-up from EI of, uh, I would presume it's the same at the, as the EI rate of 50% of the wage loss. Uh, that allows everybody to be in a better position than they would be if, uh, if, if they'd been laid off. I should then go back and describe what the uh, uh, Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or the CERB, sure. uh, actually is. Uh, so it was announced uh, as we speak just a couple of days ago by the Prime Minister. Uh, it is replacing some earlier announcements uh, from the week prior of an emergency care benefit for people who have to stay home and don't have access to a paid sick leave and the emergency support benefit, uh, which uh, addressed the situation of people who don't qualify for EI at all. Okay. Uh, the new CERB is a flat rate $500 weekly benefit. It's taxable. It's going to be paid every four weeks. It's available to any Canadian who suffers a complete loss of income due to COVID-19. And it doesn't take into consideration whether or not they're employees who are entitled to employment insurance, uh, independent contractors who are likely not entitled to employment insurance, or the self-employed who very, very rarely have voluntarily uh, self-imposed uh, employment insurance premiums upon themselves. Uh, so anyone who loses their job or is sick or quarantined uh, or taking care of somebody who is uh, sick uh, or even working parents who have to stay home with children who are off school because of a closure, uh, all of these people can qualify for the CERB, whether or not they were originally eligible for employment insurance. And can you tell me what the amount is that they are eligible to receive? And once we hear from you about that, I'm going to ask you the nitty gritty, but what does it take to actually apply and receive? The benefit is $500 a week paid monthly. So it'll be, uh, I guess, issued in $2,000 checks every four weeks. 
and the government has said that uh, payments should start to flow within 10 days after making application. And and what is the process by which an application is made? Is there uh, are there forms to fill out? Is there a website to go to? Do you, can you assist us in that? Well, we're speaking on March the 27th, and as of now, there is nothing. Uh, it is an idea that uh, appears to have been developed and announced in the space of the past week. And uh, they've indicated, again, the government, that is, has indicated that there will be an online portal in place by April 6th, a week and a half from now. Now, in terms of assisting businesses or employers, uh, we understand as we speak, there was a recent announcement by the prime minister that there will be some legislation or program in place to assist uh, the uh, employer with respect to uh, those issues. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, well, that's uh, certainly the uh, uh, the best reflection of what a moving target all of this is. Uh, I think it was last week or maybe the week prior that the government announced uh, 10% support for small and medium-sized businesses uh, in meeting payroll, and they were going to do that uh, by forgiving uh, the equivalent of 10% of salary uh, when it came time for the uh, remittances of payroll deductions to be made. Uh, today, again, that's March 27th, the uh, Prime Minister announced uh, a far more uh, dramatic and I think far more helpful uh, scheme, uh, the details of which uh, are still uh, yet to be disclosed, uh, where they will pay uh, 75% of the salary of uh, workers who remain employed uh, for qualifying uh, small and medium businesses. Of course, one of the things that we are going to have to wait to learn, hopefully not for very long, uh, is uh, what exactly is a qualifying business? Right. I was about to ask you that very question, um, because we know that there was some criteria developed initially for the 10% subsidy. Uh, Would you project that it's the same criteria now for the new 75% subsidy? I I suspect that it will be, um, although given that it's it's not possible uh, to implement it simply by uh, deducting uh, an amount from the uh, employment insurance and uh, income tax uh, remittances that are being made, uh, they may uh, be developing... uh, different, perhaps broader criteria. Are there any provincial government initiatives uh, out of Ontario that will assist either the employee or the employer during this period of time? Well, once you keep in mind that uh, the federal government's announcement that employers uh, can defer uh, income tax payments uh, is also uh, something that's very relevant to the province since uh, those income tax payments include uh, provincial income tax as well. Over and above that, there was a, an announcement yesterday on the 26th uh, by the Ontario Workplace Safety and Insurance Board uh, that they are going to uh, defer or allow employers to defer the collection of the payment of premiums uh, for WSIB uh, for six months. Uh, they estimate that will be um, of about $1.9 billion uh, in value in terms of the relief that that's going to provide over that period of time. Jack, if uh, the one of our listeners want to get in touch with you, can you provide particulars of, of your contact information? Absolutely, and I'd be uh, happy to chat with people on a one-to-one basis. 
Um, my email address is jsegel at blaney.com. That's J-S-I-E-G-E-L at blaney.com. Uh, and my direct line is 416-593-2958. Thank you for that, Jack. And uh, to our listeners, please, everybody stay healthy. Thank you.